It must have been embarrassing for Peter to tell Mark about this encounter with Jesus. Remember, Mark was not an eyewitness to anything Jesus said or did. Mark relied solely on Peter for all his material to compose his gospel, which he obtained while with Peter when Peter was under arrest in Rome awaiting his trial. So when we read or hear Mark's gospel, we are really reading or hearing the Apostle Peter's memoirs. So what gave Peter the courage to tell the whole unvarnished truth of this episode we just heard? Peter understood the meaning of the cross, and he learned not to fear it. Peter was the only one who was given the grace and responded to the grace to confess that Jesus is the Christ, meaning the anointed of God. And several times in the gospel, the demons shriek out Jesus' divine identity, but they did so out of hostility, out of malice, to hinder people's development in faith. Peter uttered the truth in love, in response to love, though it is very unlikely that Peter had any inkling of what that truth meant, what the truth was going to require of Jesus, what the truth would ultimately require of Peter and all who call themselves disciples of Jesus. We don't object to the truth about Jesus in the abstract, in hymns, in prayers, in public worship, Aha, but when the truth about who Jesus is must be played out in the sphere of our everyday lives and decisions and everything from who we marry to our vocation to, you know, how we raise our families to our jobs to the political decisions we need to make, then the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who we are, graced to become, gets very inconvenient possibly painful, at times isolating, and can make us vulnerable to attacks from others. But that is always the price of truth. Peter had to have been on one heck of an emotional high when he responded to the grace to blurt out the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Within minutes, however, that high would nosedive into a crash. Jesus gave the first prediction of his passion, and it was clear that Peter would have none of it. Incredibly, the disciple dared to take the master off to the side and rebuked him. The Greek word for rebuke can also be translated as to set a value upon, to assess a penalty, to reprove, to chide, reprimand, admonish greatly, to enjoin strictly. Bottom line, Peter didn't like, Peter didn't value, Peter didn't want anything to do with a suffering, dead Christ. And he was determined by golly to set Jesus straight 
No sooner, however, did Peter finish than Jesus rebuked Peter. Peter at least provided room for Jesus to save a little face by taking him off to the side. Jesus, however, turned around and looking at his disciples, rebuked Peter and said, get behind me. What? Which means adversary. Jesus had no intention of sparing Peter's feelings in the presence of the other disciples. Truth trumps feelings every time. And then Jesus said something fascinating to Peter. And he says it to us as well. You are not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. You ever stop to think that you and I are allowed to think like God? Peter had been given the grace to peer into the mystery that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that Jewish prophecy over thousands of years promised would come. Peter used that grace to speak the truth in the world. But when Jesus made it clear what the cost of that truth would entail, his suffering, rejection, death, and resurrection, it was all too much for Peter. Peter, like us, didn't trust the truth. He became afraid of the truth. He, like us, rejected the grace to think like God, and he retreated to the safety of human understanding, human conceptions that always insist on dictating terms to the Holy One of what is and is not possible. Now, the easiest thing Jesus could have done was to stop right there and then and just call it a day. But he didn't. He pressed on with something scandalous because the truth is often scandalous. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It is very difficult for us moderns to appreciate the very horror that would have gone through the disciples and the crowd at Jesus' mere mention of the word cross. To pagans, it was a sign that one led an utterly disgraceful life and was now receiving a meaningless death. To Jews, it was a sign that one was cursed by God. The cross was the ultimate symbol of horror, disgrace, futility, hopelessness. And yet Jesus says that the price of following him is to pick up our cross, not run away from it. In my Protestant days, I was always drawn by the words of Father Martin Luther. Father Luther always said, never run away from your cross. Run toward it. Embrace it. Sink your teeth into its wood. But why would Jesus make such a command? What Peter didn't understand then, but he certainly did by the time he shared this story with Mark, 
was that Jesus' holy and life-giving cross would transform the crosses of all his disciples for all time into expressions of hope that this world does not understand and is incapable of giving. That Jesus' cross has transformed the horror of shameful, meaningless suffering and death into life and joy that the crosses of disciples are no longer carried in the darkness of despair, but in the light of faith, and a faith that will never disappoint. The pain and suffering we endure can now be united with Jesus, and only through him, with him, and in him can they be elevated into sacrificial offerings that are especially pleasing to his Father, our Father. Now the world tells us to avoid crosses, that suffering and pain and death have no meaning, no value, and many fall for the lie. Jesus, however, insists that we carry our crosses because in him, they become avenues of hope, light, and life, not just for ourselves, but as signs to others. Our sufferings, our pains, and yes, even our deaths are no longer meaningless, but are transformed into gifts to be offered to his Father. That is what the power of the cross can do.